Father, your word is unfailing and you are unshakable. It's more than a lyric for us this morning, Father. You are the hope that we cling to. You are an anchor for our soul. Father, I thank you for the strong reason we have to celebrate this Easter morning. Lord, it's my prayer that we will not just hear your word, we will not just declare your word, but Lord, help us to be doers, to act upon your truth today. We ask these things in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, have I told you the good news today? He is risen. Amen. Jesus is alive. We have hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, Easter, it's not just about chocolate bunnies and hidden eggs and fancy clothes and, and cool hats. It's about freedom. It's about the greatest gift that is ever given. I believe before we can really experience Easter together this morning, we need to drill down and we need to look at a few things. We need to ask ourselves the question. We need to remind ourselves of who Jesus really is. The bottom line is that Jesus is God in the flesh. One of the witnesses to the resurrection, John, called him the Word, which in Greek is logos, meaning the expression of God. Now, I want you to put your hands together like this. Help me out. Put your hands like this. And I want you to imagine that you have an Easter egg in your hand. Now, it may be a solid color, maybe striped, maybe tie-dye. I don't care. But imagine you have an Easter egg in your hand, okay? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. It's not a rhetorical question. I want you to talk back to me. What is it that you have in your hand? Not, not nothing. You have an egg in your hand. You've got to help me here. Now, when you said there's an egg... There's something different than when you imagine. When you imagine that there's an egg, when you thought about it, that was a thought. But when you spoke it, that's the logos. That's the expression. Jesus is the spoken expression of God. John said that Jesus preexisted fully as God, as the expression, the logos of God. Now, in your worship bulletin this morning, there's a pink sheet of paper. If you'll pull that out, that's got an outline for us for the teaching this morning. And there's some scriptures I want us to look at together. The first scripture on that outline is John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this is Jesus. Look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Circle those words, grace and truth. If you have your Bible open, you may want to underline grace and truth. For you see, the heart of the whole gospel is wrapped up there in grace and truth. The heart of all of Jesus' message is wrapped up in those words. The heart of the message of Easter is wrapped up in those words. And the heart of what I want to share with you this morning is wrapped up in those words. The power of truth and grace. I want to start by looking at the power of truth. That first blank there for you is the power of truth. Now, we want the truth, don't we? Like some popular movie line, you can't handle the truth. It's not about if you can handle or not. You want the truth. We need the truth. Now, if you've got broccoli in your teeth and you're with a group of friends, do you want them just to ignore it and let you smile and laugh and just kind of have that food hanging out of your gaping mouth? No. You want them to tell you the truth. Get that junk out of there. 
If you go to a doctor and you have a blood test for, for leukemia or for some dreaded disease, do you want him just to tell you what you want to hear or do you want him to tell you the truth? Do you want a doctor who says, don't, don't worry about it, just be happy, just think happy thoughts. No, you want the truth. You need the truth. The power of truth comes with Easter in that we are confronted by the reality of our sin. We're confronted by the reality of our sin. John 8, 31, Jesus tells us, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. One of the greatest things about Jesus' freedom that he gives to us, it's not just freedom from our sins from the past. He gives us freedom to live in right now, that we don't have to be in bondage to willful disobedience anymore. We don't have to be stuck in the chains, the patterns, and the habits, the addictions that we're in. He gives us the resurrection power to live freely away from willful disobedience. We believe that at Grace Point. We've experienced that here, amen? Now we need to be reminded that we can deny our sin or we can confess our sin. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yet if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now some of you may be thinking this morning, Pastor Brady, this is Easter. This is a happy day. What are you talking about sin for? Can't you just give us good news? Can't you just talk about happy thoughts and, and, and happy-go-lucky things? Well, friend... I love you enough that you and I both need the truth. And the truth is that we need to be confronted by the reality of our sin. See, Jesus didn't come to teach us about chocolate bunnies or hidden eggs. He came to die on a cross. To give us an opportunity to have life in Him. He came to forgive us. He rose so we could have new life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. This sin leads to emotional, it leads to spiritual, even physical death, separation from God. Jesus said at the beginning of His ministry in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the oppressed will be set free. Now there are certain types of freedom that we understand because we've experienced that kind of freedom. Maybe we've had some freedom and then we've lost it for a period of time and we've missed it and, and we want to go back to that. But we know what that freedom's like because we've experienced it. For example, how many of you have had a, a broken arm or a broken leg and you've had that in a cast? And you could not wait for the day for that cast to be taken off. I mean, oh, if you could just get to the itch that's underneath that cast and scratch it, there'd be relief. You can't wait for the day that you could take a shower and get rid of that stinking plastic bag that you had to put over that cast every single time. And when they finally cut that cast off and it came off, the freedom that you felt. You know what that freedom's like. How many of you have had your teeth in braces? And, and you just couldn't wait to get those braces off. You couldn't wait to get the rubber bands out of your mouth. You couldn't wait to put that headgear aside. You couldn't wait to ditch that retainer. But the day that you got rid of it, it was freedom. It was like your mouth was, was a new mouth and there was, there was freedom there. You've experienced it. How many of you have been to a timeshare presentation? 
I mean, you're, you're hearing this pressure sales and, and the meeting goes on and on and it's so long and you begin to think this free gift that they're giving is not worth this whole sales pitch. And the minute you get out, there's freedom. I'm out of that thing. I'm never going back. See, you know that freedom because you've experienced it before. I need to confess to you this morning that I've heard people talk about those freedoms, but, but I've never experienced any of those things. I've not had a broken arm or leg that's been in a cast. I've, I've never known the freedom of having that cast taken off. I've never had braces on my teeth. I've never had the freedom of that being gone. And, and I haven't gone to a timeshare presentation to be thrilled that it was over with. I've heard people talk about it, but I've not experienced it. Can I lovingly say this morning, church, that some of us here today, there is a freedom that you have yet to experience It's so wonderful. It is so real. But you can't appreciate it because you've not experienced it yet. But it's offered to you today in Jesus Christ. The good news of Easter is not that it only whispers to us the reality of our sin. The good news of Easter also whispers to us the possibility for more. And it leads us to the power of grace and the love of our Savior. I want us to read together John three sixteen and 17. It's in your pink sheet there on the outline. It'll be up on the screen. Let's read this aloud together. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Amen. How many of you know what a lifeguard is? Everybody here knows what a lifeguard is. How many of you know what the job of a lifeguard is? You know, they they go to the beach or they go to the pool and they sit on those big, tall, white chairs and they look out over the water for somebody who's drowning. And their job is to get that red or that orange floaty thing and to swim out to the drowning person. And, And you know what their job is. Their job is to condemn them, to yell at them. To say, you are a stupid, worthless person that's about to die. You should have paid more attention in your swim lessons. You should have never gone to the deep end of the pool. That's their job, right? No. What's the job of a lifeguard? To save people. Church, I want to tell you this morning, can you hear possibly for the very first time, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's here today not to come and to condemn you, not to yell at you. He hasn't come to hurt you. He has come to set you free. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. See, Jesus conquered death so we could live a life of fullness. He wants us to live in freedom. Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding His blood. You see, friends, the cross is empty today. The grave is empty today because the one who came to die in our place on the cross has conquered sin, he's conquered death, and he's conquered the grave for you. The question I have for you this morning is will you face the reality of your sin to discover the love of your Savior? 
Do you really know how much the Savior loves you? I came across some material this week that I want to share with you that talks about how much the Savior loves you. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to be kind of be going hand in hand. And then all of a sudden there's this character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name is Barabbas. We don't know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection. He's a rebel. Why he's even mentioned sometimes I'm not sure. And this, this story is about Jesus and him going to the cross. And why is Barabbas even mentioned? But in this moment... Pilate thinks to himself, I hold the destinies of these two men, Jesus and Barabbas, in my hands. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day that I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, the very son of God, verse Barabbas, the thug, the rebel. And Pilate says, all right, who do you want? Jesus Or Barabbas. This is blasphemy. This is going too far. There is no comparison between the two. Barabbas is the rightful prisoner. A man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against wrong. He leads a rebellion. He's a bad man. He's a thug. He's a crook. He deserves the chains. He deserves death by crucifixion on the cross. But Jesus... What has he done but heal and restore and deliver, set people free, opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, healing the lame, healing the leper? What has Jesus done? And yet Pilate says, who do you want? And the crowd answers, we we want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and put the key in and unlock Barabbas from his chains and his shackles. He walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. And and I can imagine Barabbas thinking to himself, yeah, the people love me. I don't know who this Jesus guy is, but all these people, they love me. They chose me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything for you have set me free. No, no, you don't see anything like that in Barabbas. And God knew that. Jesus stood there silent, for he knew the will of the Father. It's as if in his silence he says, It's fine, Father. Let them have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that for the Father, he would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas in order to treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free, but no, it was the love of a heavenly Father, when I look at the story and realize who Barabbas really is, I can see that it's me, it's it's you, it's us. And when I was reading this, it, it came to my heart. It almost was like God was saying, I love Barabbas. But God, he's a bad man. I love him and I wanted him to be set free. But God, didn't you know that that he would never come to fully acknowledge that you gave him a free gift, a, a pardon? Yeah, but I loved Barabbas. Scripture tells us, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
God sent His Son to die for Barabbas, knowing that He would walk away from Jesus, that He would not receive the gift, that He may never come back. And yet God still showed His love for him. Oh, the nerve, the audacity for us as believers to say, well, I got saved by grace, but now that I find myself in this deep, dark place of bondage, I better work hard to get myself out of this. What is that? That is absolutely opposite of the gospel. Friend, are you bound today? Are you held under by the power of sin? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free of it. Stop it. No, you won't. You will not overcome it. You will never overcome it. You will succumb to it. There is no answer within yourself. Your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage, will not save your kids. It will not save your soul. The only one is the one who took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and he said, yes, give them Barabbas and take me instead. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I am the Barabbas? And they start to take my chains off. And I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve all of it. And Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I deserve this. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve punishment. I deserve all of it. No, God. God, I'm so ashamed. And the Lord says, give me your shame, son. But God, what if I do it again? I'd still be there, son. Oh God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I don't want to live like this anymore. Then give me your sins, son. Friends, this is all that we have got. This is all that I have got. This is all that you have got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like people are so good and that's why they get the blessings. Or we can come to the honest conclusion that it's only God. It's God alone that brings blessing in our life. The greatest challenge is not your discipline or your devotion or your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there is a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so inclusive, so welcoming, that He says, let me have your sin. Okay, God. I give you my sin. I stand in the empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see Him walking to the post to be whipped as I stand a free man. All attention now is turning towards Jesus and it's as if I feel the love of God say, Go, Son, and 
live your life in freedom. I will pay the price for you. Where did we get off thinking that we can set ourselves free? It is still Jesus. It has always been Jesus. It will never stop being the power of Jesus. His blood is sufficient for your salvation. His blood is sufficient for your sanctification. His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge, through every sin, through every temptation. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough.